Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Faith Christian Podcast. At Faith Christian, our purpose is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information about Faith Christian, check out our website, fccnp.org, or stop by on a Sunday morning. We'd love to meet you. Now we hope you enjoy this recent teaching from Faith Christian Church. Father, we hold on to that promise. Maybe the best promise of the entire Christmas story, Emmanuel, God with us. And so we, as the ancients before waited for Emmanuel to come, we now celebrate that Emmanuel has come, that God is with us, that you are not just some distant cosmic creator. You are indeed in our presence, residing in our lives, living with us, guiding our day-to-day because you put skin on And you came in the person of Jesus, Emmanuel. God is with us. And so we celebrate that this day, this Christmas season, and every day. God, would you speak to us now as we open up the words of Scripture, as we begin to to look this season at the Christmas story, to be reminded of this truth. Would you speak to us, move in our hearts and our minds, move to our hands and our feet, and teach us how to love better. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. Well, it is great to see you this morning. Uh, We are thrilled to be uh, beginning our celebration of the Christmas season together today uh, today, as we celebrate all um, over the next four or five weeks together. Uh, A couple things that you need to know that are coming up. This is a really busy time here at Faith Christian. We don't want you to miss anything, uh, especially a couple of these fun things that are happening. Uh, The first is happening next Sunday evening. It's our annual Christmas craft fair. Uh, This has been going on for, oh, 10 plus years now. Uh, We uh, have a, a night of crafting. Many of you come and set up crafts uh, for a donation. Uh, people can come make crafts, ornaments, things like that. It's a lot of fun. Great time for kids, especially. Uh, but this is a fundraiser for our middle school and high school summer trips. Uh, each summer we send a group of middle school students and then later a group of high school students to a Christ and Youth Conference uh, somewhere in the country. This year they're going to, uh, oh my goodness, I already forgot. Yeah, if you're a parent, you already know because you've been paying your deposit. So we'll talk about that when I get the when I remember. Uh, but those, uh, those conferences are expensive. And so to help defray the cost to the families of the kids who get to go. Uh, this is one of the fundraisers we do, and it's this Christmas craft fair. And so that's happening next Sunday evening. There's a dinner, uh, donation for the dinner as well. Also a bake sale. If you'd like to participate by uh, providing something for the bake sale, please see Cecilia Crocker today. Let her know that you can help with that bake sale. Also coming up in a couple weeks after that on December the 17th, um, those of you who have been a part of our uh, choir in the past, our worship choir, our worship choir will be uh, singing and helping us lead our worship service on that Sunday, December 17th. And so if you you're interested in that, you've done that in the past, please see Josie. Uh, she'd love to talk to you about uh, uh, rehearsal dates and things like that um, that will go along with that Christmas choir. Uh, Josie also asked me to mention, we are, she is also gauging interest in a children's choir uh, that would sing this year on Christmas Eve. And so if you've got kids in your life that would you think would be interested in that, please see her today. Uh, she needs to know by next week so she can put that together if there's enough interest to, to do that uh, children's choir. Uh, that children's choir would sing uh, for both or before both of our Christmas Eve services, which leads me to this important piece of information that you need to know, our schedule for Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve falls on a Sunday this year, so we want you to know when you should plan to be here, and we're going to give you two options to worship uh, together on that Sunday. Uh, One will be at our 10 o'clock, our normal 10 a.m. service time, and then that evening at 6 p.m. Both of those services will be the same. 
and we will broadcast, uh, we, we will live stream both of those services so you can watch at home if you can't make it here. Uh, but just want you to know that both of those services on Sunday, Christmas Eve, December 24th, uh, 10 a.m. and 6 p.m., uh, those services will be identical. So find the one that works best for your family uh, to participate and to worship on Christmas Eve. And we look forward to sharing that time with you as well. Well, we are kicking off uh, our Christmas ser sermon series this morning. And uh, to help us guide our conversation about the, our series, our, about Christmas this year, uh, the th the the title of this series is The Colors of Christmas. And we're going to talk about the colors of Christmas. So to get this started, um, let me see if I can get this right. You ready? Back there. Here we go. Woo! Yeah, ah, I know. I, I'm so low tech it hurts. Yeah, there we go. Uh, so I got some lights. We're going to have some different colors. We're going to talk about different colors this Christmas. And that's going to guide our conversations uh, about the Christmas. And the color we're going to talk about today is the color gold. Uh, we see gold all over the time, uh, all over the place at Christmas. Gold ribbons on our packages, gold tinsels on our tree, gold ornaments even hanging in the church building today. So gold is our color. Let me show you where the, the color gold shows up in the Christmas story. Let me, let me just, let me get this, just get it out of the way. So this is Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. Matthew tells the Christmas story like this. He says, on coming to the house, they, he's talking about the wise men, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, there it is, frankincense and myrrh. This moment recorded for us in Matthew chapter 2 of the wise men coming and presenting gifts to Jesus, uh, this is where our tradition of exchanging gifts at Christmas time was born, which um, for most of us is our favorite part of Christmas, right? Especially the kids. We love to get those gifts. And so this is where that tradition comes from. It's from the, the biblical account of these wise men traveling from this great distance to bring gifts to worship this new king. Myrrh, the first, well, one of the gifts on the list, myrrh was a burial spice. Pretty good foreshadowing of this baby being born to die, a burial spice. Uh, one of the other gifts is frankincense. Frankincense was a, a fragrant oil that was used by the priest in the temple, a great reminder for us that Jesus is our high priest. And now because of him and his finished work on the cross, we have access to God. And then gold, the one I want to talk about today. Gold is a gift for a king. And I believe it's so important for us to consider this year, every time we see gold on a tree or a ribbon, a gold ribbon on a package, every time we see the color gold show up this Christmas season, I believe it's important for us to consider that the baby in the manger that we're looking at, that we're speaking of, that we are celebrating, that we are worshiping, is a king. Because sometimes the person that you think is in charge isn't really the person with power. I love the story that Laura Bush tells about her husband, you know, the former president, George Bush. When her husband, president number 43, was in office, they went to Houston to visit his parents, the 41st president, and his, his wife, Barbara, George's mom and dad. Not too many people, you know, married one president and gave birth to another. That's pretty good for Barbara Bush, I guess. And so one morning while they're there in Houston visiting the parents, 43 gets up early to go get some coffee, six o'clock in the morning but when he goes into the living room with his cup of coffee his parents are already up they're drinking coffee reading the morning papers so 43 grabs the coffee sits down uh, on the couch picks up a section of the newspaper and puts his feet up on the coffee table just to kind of relax a little bit and drink his coffee and read the paper when his mother barbara bush turns to him and says georgie get your feet off my table her husband 41 says barbara for goodness sakes, he is the president of the United States. 
Mom says, I don't care. I don't want his feet on my table. And the president took his feet off of his mother's table and put them on the floor because the person who might seem to be in charge is not always the person with the power. I think that's one of the big messages of Christmas time. Sometimes the person that you think is in charge isn't really the person with the power. Matthew includes in his account of the birth of Jesus this verse, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. Now watch this, because Matthew really wants you to know this. During the reign of King Herod. Now Matthew wants you to know this for a couple of reasons. First, he's setting a, a, a time and a place so we know this happened. We, we can go back, we can find when King Herod was the ruler over Jerusalem in this area of Judea. We, we can find that in history. He wants us to know that. He also wants us to pay attention that this is a King Herod. See, there was no debate on the first Christmas who had the power. Jesus had a manger, but Herod had the throne. That's how everybody saw the world that first Christmas, and that's how most people have seen the world ever since. Even us today, we, for the next month, we have a baby, we have a manger, we have a few weeks of celebrating that Jesus came, but then, then we, like the ancients, we're going to get back to the business of dealing with who's got the real power, who's really in charge, who sits on the real throne. Let me challenge the idea that the people in charge are really the people with power. Because what I think Christmas is declaring, and what most, most folks miss is this, Christmas tells us there's, there's a new king in town because Jesus didn't come to take over. Jesus didn't just come to redeem, but Jesus came to rule. He didn't come just to redeem us, but also to rule us. This was declared the night he was born in Luke chapter 2. But the angel said to them, talking to the shepherds, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, and he is Savior. He did come to redeem, but then the angel says he is Christ, the Lord. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Matter of fact, Christ, the word Christ is not a name at all. It's a title. It means the anointed one, the Messiah. It could also mean king. That's why we don't call this season Jesus-mas. We call it Christmas, Christmas. It's the season we welcome a new king. And no one realized that sooner than the man whose rule was threatened when this new king was born. Back to Matthew chapter 2. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is this newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. These travelers from this great distance, they were not looking for a kid to ooh and awe over as, as we would. They're not looking for a baby to admire and googly eye at. They were looking for a king to bow down to, to worship, and to adore. And the reason that he was born a king is because he was a king before he was born. And they thought this was good news, these wise men. 
But Herod, the king on the throne, he didn't see this as good news. Verse 3, King Herod, this is the second time, pay attention, second time that Matthew calls him King Herod. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. And all of Jerusalem was disturbed for a very good reason. Because whenever King Herod got upset, bad things began to happen. Herod was a powerful king. He built impressive buildings. He built a pretty good economy. He kept the order in Judea for over 40 years in a very hard part to rule, uh, a hard to rule part of the world. The Romans, who were really the ones in charge, appreciated that about him because, because he kept the peace in Judea. But even Rome admitted this King Herod is a paranoid nutcase. You see, Herod was constantly on the lookout for a threat to his throne. He was very worried about someone trying to, to take his power away from him. And so, so much so, so paranoid about this was he that he, well, he murdered his own wife and her mother. He had his oldest son, you know, the, the heir to a throne. He had his oldest son assassinated, then had two more sons put to death. Because Herod governed by one simple rule, crush the opposition. And he was not going to stand for a threat to his throne, to his power. So when he found out that there was a new king, this was not good news for Herod. And so Herod sends out soldiers to Bethlehem to kill all the baby boys in the region. By the way, I think this exposes one of the myths that a lot of people have about Jesus. A lot of people want to say, well, okay, Jesus was, he was a moralist. Jesus was, okay, he was a great teacher, but he wasn't the son of God. No, no, listen. These soldiers did not go out to kill a life coach. They were looking for a king who was a threat to the throne. They were out there to murder a potential king because Herod understood that one had been born who could establish a dominion that would ultimately preempt his own. And that's what everybody who really gets Christmas understands. Jesus has come to take over because he's the king. And can I just tell you, your heart and my heart will always be a battleground for kings your heart is always a battlefield for the question of who is in charge whose dominion whose authority whose kingdom is going to be recognized I think I think that's why people like Christmas more than Easter because at Christmas Oh, we, we look at a little baby who, in a manger. The baby can't demand anything. And when Christmas is over, we can, we can put him back in the box and put him back up in the attic, and you get about your business of running your life the way you want to run it. But Easter's a little different, isn't it? A man dies and then comes back to life, comes out of a tomb and ascends and sits at the right hand of God. That's a little different, isn't it? So we'd rather talk about Christmas than Easter and keep Jesus on the shelf. But wise men and wise women understand that Christmas is a call to be overruled. In this story that you've heard all of your life, 
I want to show you some subtle hints of how in charge Jesus really is. First thing I want you to see is that the Christmas story helps us remember that Jesus rules over creation. His rule is over creation. Did you notice that, the, that these wise men, these magi, they called this astrological phenomenon his star? It was something they'd never seen before. We saw a star that belongs to him, a star that is doing what he wants. Later, after they met with Herod, in verse 9 of Matthew 2, after this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. This is no ordinary star. It moves. It shines its light on specific locations. This is a divinely appointed travel guide. This is creation doing what creation was created to do, to point us to the king. Think about it. The, the gospels, the, the biographies of Jesus, they are full of stories where creation does amazing things to lift up Jesus, to help us pay attention to Jesus. If Jesus wants to get to the other side of the lake and he needs the water to become a bridge, he just gives the word and he walks on water. If he want to, wants to make a point to his disciples, he just gives the word and fish swim into their nets. If he wants to make a point to the people, he just, can, he just gives a word and withered limbs and blind eyes and leprous skin are, are, are healed and become whole. And if he wants to bless some friends at a wedding, he just gives the word and water becomes Welch's grape juice. Just seeing if anybody's paying attention. That's a really bad Baptist joke right there. Okay. <laughs> Water turned to wine. All right, never mind. Never mind. You don't. All right. <clears throat> if I have to explain it, it's not funny. Jesus is always showing off that he is the king of creation. And creation is always responding to Jesus because it recognizes its maker. Colossians 1 says, For through him, talking about Jesus, through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. John doesn't start the Christmas story like Matthew and Luke. John starts it like this in John 1. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. I want you to understand that when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, He wasn't just coming to redeem everyone he was coming to redeem everything because all of creation is under his throne. All of creation belongs to him. A thousand years or so ago, the ruler of England, Britain, was a Danish king by the name of Canute. By the way, if you're having a baby the next year, consider Canute for a name if you, if you want your kid to get beat up on the playground. All right, Canute was this king's this Danish king. He was the ruler over all of Britain. Canute got tired of people telling him how great he was. And so one day, he had his throne placed out on the beach. And he ordered the tide not to come in. And a few hours later, the tide was all the way up to his throne. And they say he got up from the throne, 
took off his crown, put it on a statue of Jesus, and never wore it again. Because creation only recognizes one king. Creation declares that Jesus is Lord. But the Christmas story, not only does it remind us that Jesus is the king of creation, the Christmas story reminds us that Jesus rules over the Bible. This is a little weird. Let's talk about this. I want you to notice that the wise men, when they needed more revelation, they came to Herod, and they asked, where are we going to find this, this new king? And Herod and the leaders of the Jews knew exactly where to look. Look what happens in verse 4. He called a meeting, this is Herod, called King Herod, called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. The star got the wise men to Jerusalem, but the scriptures got them to Bethlehem. But yet the scriptures did not get the experts in the scriptures to Bethlehem, those just a few miles away. One group in this story travels thousands of miles to meet the new king. The second group who knew the text, they knew the scrolls, they knew the ancient words, they won't travel five miles because they don't want to be overruled by this new king. They found the answer in the Bible, but they missed the word. The same spirit would dominate 30 years later when Jesus would say to the teachers and the experts in the scriptures in John 5, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me, yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. I need you to understand the Bible is never the end. The Bible is the means to the end. Because Jesus is the king and Jesus is the Lord, even of the scriptures. The light that comes from scripture, the light that comes from the Bible is meant to guide us to Jesus. And can I just tell you, a wonderful thing happens. As the Bible leads us to Jesus, Jesus then leads us to better understand the Bible. There's a wonderful story in Luke chapter 24. This is after the resurrection. Jesus encounters some of his disciples on the road to Emmaus. They're all confused about what's just happened. They've seen the crucifixion. They, they, they don't know what to do. They don't know where to turn next. They're all confused. And Jesus appears to them in Luke chapter 24. Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself, because Jesus is all over the Bible, because Jesus rules over the Bible. And when you read the Bible that way, you begin to see it. I love the story of this first grade class that took a field trip to a zoo. One little boy had never been to the zoo before. He was so thrilled to go to the zoo and see the animals. And while there, he saw a peacock. He had never seen, never heard of such a thing before, didn't know such a thing even existed. And while he was looking at this peacock, the peacock does a thing where its feathers just fan out, open up so big, and he just stood there wide-eyed, jaw open in disbelief at what this bird was doing. That night when he's home, daddy says, well, son, how did you like the zoo? The little boy says, dad, you won't believe it. I saw a Christmas tree come out of a chicken 
<laughs> That's what happens when you read scripture. You start to see the king bust out all over the place. The king shows up on every page, even when you don't expect it. You can know a lot of Bible and not know the king. But when you seek the king, you start to see the king on every page, and your search of the word will help you see who really has the last word. Because the Christmas story reminds us that Jesus rules over the enemy. This was predicted all the way back in the third chapter of the Bible. After Adam and Eve sin and God curses the creation, then God speaks to the servant, to the serpent, who is Satan in this case as a serpent, and says to the serpent, from her seed, talking about the woman, one will come. You will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. What's God doing there? He's declaring war. God is saying to the enemy, I am not going to let you damn my creation or my people. I'm not going to let you rule illegitimately over my realm. I am not going to let you govern my children for eternity. God declares war. God announced that he was going to, to launch a counteroffensive against the illegitimate realm, a reign of the enemy, and D-Day was Bethlehem. 1 John 3, 8 says, But the Son of Man came to destroy the works of the devil. Satan recognized the threat immediately, which is why when John gives us his version of the Christmas story, not in John, but in Revelation, you know John writes about Christmas in Revelation, right? When he tells a Christmas story, he talks about, he sets this picture of a woman giving birth, and there to give, as she's giving birth, there's this giant red dragon representing Satan. There at the moment of the birth because his intent was to kill that baby as soon as he was born. But that baby was spared by God because God knew what the enemy was up to. Read through the Gospels and you will see repeated attempts on the life of Jesus again and again. And every single one of these attempts on the life of Jesus is frustrated because Jesus says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. And throughout the story, you will never see the enemy ever successfully thwart the rule of the real king. No demon ever looks at Jesus and says, you can't make me. Just the opposite. For instance, in Matthew 8, Matthew tells us this amazing story where two men have these demons inside of them, and Jesus shows up, and they rush up when they see Jesus, and they say, what do you want with us, son of God? Have you come to here to torture us before our appointed time? You see, the enemy knew that Jesus is the real king and his dominion is, to be established, is going to be established. They knew they were in the presence of a king who would never be outranked, never be undermined, never be overthrown. This is why I want you to know this king. This is why I want you, like the wise men, to worship this king so that you will be overruled, that you can come under the reign of the real king. But it takes faith. And I'll tell you why. It takes faith to let this king rule us because we still live in the days of Herod. We still live in a day when the fake kings seem to have all the power. 
and they all demand our allegiance. And Christmas calls us to ignore the bluster of the enemy. Many of you will remember the name John McCain, former senator, former presidential candidate, died just a couple years ago. If you know his story, you know that back during the Vietnam conflict, John McCain was a prisoner of war. For actually several years, he was in a prison in Vietnam. He writes in his memoirs that his lowest moment of his imprisonment was on Christmas Eve, 1969. He had experienced torture. He'd been beaten. He was weakened. He's in solitary confinement. And as a way to kind of try to get these American soldiers to break, the North Vietnamese are playing over the loudspeakers in the prison camp the song, Christmas Eve, they're playing on repeat this song, I'll be home for Christmas, over and over and over again. And McCain said it was devastating. But then he heard it. A tap, tap, tap on the wall. You see, the American prisoners in that camp had developed this little tapping code to send signals to each other. And on the other side of McCain's cell was a Marine by the name of Ernie Bruce. Bruce had been in prison four years longer than John had been there. And the message was, someday we'll all be home for Christmas. God bless America. Just a short little message, but McCain says it changed everything. It reminded him that Christmas is not a time for despair. It is a time for hope. Christmas is the declaration that the king is going to make things right. That the world that is, is not the world that will be. Jesus is the word and Jesus will have the last word because when Jesus comes, the battle over who rules is over. I told you twice that Matthew makes a pretty important point of calling Herod king. It's interesting to me that when the wise men finally get to the baby and they worship the baby and they present the baby with these gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, Herod is never called king again. Because when you bow before the real king, all the fake kings get exposed. And someday, every knee will bow. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You know, Jesus was the king before he was the savior. And he will still be the king long after there is no more saving that needs to be done. Someday all will bow. But wise people don't wait. We'll do it now. Let me pray for you. If our community team will take their places to service, please. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads.
And just if you would take a moment, I'm going to let you start the prayer where you sit. You start it, I'll finish the prayer. But just in the silence of this moment, I'd like for you to acknowledge the kingship of Jesus. And, and if you have the courage, if there is a part of your life where he needs to take over, just right now, in the stillness of your heart, confess it. And let him rule that area where you, you struggle for self-sovereignty. You start the prayer, I'll finish it. Lord Jesus, we declare that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. Always have been, always will be.